You may be seated. Please open with me in the book of Galatians. Uh, We come today to Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Uh, This will be the last week that we're in Galatians until the month of January. Um, Beginning next week uh, and through the month of December, Pastor Collins and I are going to be preaching in both morning and evening services uh, through the month of December. Seven different prophecies in the book of Isaiah Uh, concerning the coming birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will spend the month of December in Isaiah's prophecy with our eyes upon the coming of our Lord Jesus. Uh, But today we come in our uh, series through Galatians to Galatians chapter 4. And again, verses 12 through 20, you'll remember that in the book of Galatians, Paul is deeply concerned for these Galatian believers They have been led astray by false teachers. They have adopted a kind of Jewish legalism uh, through which, by their obedience to the law of Moses, they believe that they can make themselves right with God. It is a Jesus plus obedience, Jesus plus their law keeping in order to be right with God. And this is a denigration of the work of Jesus Christ, it is a departure from Christ. And Paul has, in the book of Galatians, been making a variety of different kinds of arguments to call them back to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, now in our passage today, Paul is going to get extremely personal. and He is going to, as it were, open up his heart now to these Galatian Christians and make a personal and impassioned plea to them uh, to not drift from the Lord Jesus. So let's now hear these words, Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This ends this reading in God's Word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our God, we thank you for your life-giving Word. Your Word is truth. We pray, O gracious God, that you would now use our words in our lives. Lord, you are the one who knows our hearts. You know what truth here needs to be applied and how it needs to be applied to our lives. And we ask, O living God, 
that by your Spirit you would do just that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How are people who are drifting from the gospel won back to genuine faith in Jesus Christ? The Lord can use a number of different things. Uh, Sometimes it is a sermon. Uh, Sometimes a book. Uh, Sometimes a reasoned theological argument. Uh, Sometimes, uh, kind of like that prodigal son, it is hitting rock bottom in life. But perhaps the one thing that the Lord uses more than any other is a Christian friend or family member or pastor who expresses a loving concern for that person's soul. A loving, personal, heartfelt plea is often what counts the most. And that's what Paul does now for these Galatian Christians. Uh, He's spoken to them theologically. He's opened up the Old Testament with them. He's shown them what God's purposes, what the gospel is from the uh, Old Testament. He's asserted his own apostolic authority. But now in this passage, he speaks to them as a spiritual father with his own spiritual children. He opens his heart with them. You see, Paul was the one who had at first shared the gospel with these people. They had become Christians, many of them, through Paul's ministry. He had led them to Christ. He had formed their faith. And Paul loved them. And quite frankly, his heart is breaking over their defection from Jesus Christ. And he now lays his heart open, bare before uh, these believers. Uh, verse 12 is a, is a kind of summary statement that sets the tone for the entire section. Brothers, that personal appeal, I entreat you with all emotion, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Paul says, I came to you, I became one of you, as he says in 1 Corinthians 9, that I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Uh, That though he was a Jew, he became, as it were, like these Gentiles in Galatia. He adopted their manner of life and customs. He identified with them. He lived among them. He loved them. He invested his life In their life, he became in every way like unto them so that he might share Jesus Christ with them and that they then might become as he is, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He longed that they would follow his example and believe the gospel unto eternal life, that they would be free from the bondage of the law, that they would enjoy true liberty as the sons of God, He loved them, and he has shown them the way of true faith. But now they have turned their back on him. And so the Apostle Paul pleads with them. There are lessons in this plea that we're going to open up uh, together. There are 
going to be, as, as we go through this passage together, you're going to see on the one hand that there are lessons for those who are in danger of departing. As we walk our way through the passage, if you are one who is drifted from true faith in Jesus Christ, these words are going to be, as it were, kind of a word of, of warning, a, a plea that is made to you as, as well. Who are your spiritual parents in the Lord? Will you turn back, not only to the Lord, but to them as well? Can't you hear their prayers, their longings for your soul calling you back to Jesus Christ? But there are going to be lessons in this passage as well for those who would call others back. Can we, like Paul, take a true and sincere an impassioned interest in other people, opening our hearts, even as Paul does, calling others back to faith in Jesus Christ. So that's how this can be applied to us. Now what I want to do then is open up this passage now, verses, uh, these, these verses, this passage together, under two parts together. There are going to really be two different parts now to Paul's plea as he speaks to them. And the first of those parts, in verses 13 through, well, really the end of verse 12, down through verse 16, Paul is going to contrast their past experience to their present, or really their past treatment of him to their present. And he's going to plead with them to remember and return. He contrasts their past treatment of him to their present and plead with them to remember and return. And then secondly, the second part of his plea in verses 17 through 20 is he's going to contrast the false teachers to the true and plead with them, follow those who will lead you to Christ. So the second contrast, verses 17 through 20, is false teachers to the true, and he's going to plead with them, follow those who will lead you to Christ. And so first of all, in verses 12 through 16, I want us to see how Paul is going to make a contrast. In this case, it is between their past treatment of Paul to their present, and he's going to plead with them, remember and return. You know, if you are spiritually drifting, one thing that the Lord calls you to do is to remember. In Revelation 2, in verse 5, the ascended Lord Jesus writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. It was a church which was drifting. They They had left their first love. And the Lord says to them, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Or in Christ's letter to the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, in verse 3, this was a church which had the reputation of being alive, but was really dead. And Christ says to them, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And so Paul now goes to these Galatian Christians in, in Galatians 4 here, And uh, these Galatians who had drifted away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 
what he does at first is he says to them, remember. Remember what it was like when I first brought to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying at the end of verse 12. He says, when I first brought to you the gospel, you did me no wrong. You welcomed me. You welcomed the gospel message that I brought. And you did this despite the fact that I, Paul, had some kind of uh, bodily injury or illness or limitation when I preached to you. We we aren't quite sure what Paul is talking about here in verse 13 by this uh, bodily ailment that he had. But we do know that Paul himself was often sickly and unwell. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he refers to a, uh, a kind of thorn in the flesh which hampered him and he longed to be, to be rid of it. And so this bodily ailment might have been some kind of sickness that he had, but it might have just simply been uh, the kind of uh, a, a weakness that his body experienced as he endured all sorts of physical persecution, what 2 Corinthians 6 uh, describes as afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonment. And in fact, in Acts chapter 14 which records how he first brought the gospel into this region of Galatia in cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul brought the gospel to them amidst many persecutions and afflictions. He was even stoned and left for dead in the city of Lystra. And so Paul is saying, bottom line, that when I initially came to you in Galatia and I preached Christ, Paul is saying, I was no model physical specimen, okay? I was not smooth of speech. I was not charismatic and charming and handsome. But he was a weak and ragged and afflicted man. And Paul didn't let that affliction stop him. He still came and he preached Christ to them. And that was all that mattered to these Galatians. They weren't looking at Paul's outward appearance, but rather they... They received him as one who was bringing this message of life. And they loved Paul for it. He showed them Jesus Christ. And to them, that was all that mattered. And so verse 14, he says, Though my condition was a trial to you, nonetheless, you did not scorn or despise me. Literally, you did not spit upon me as one who was accursed. But rather, even though he was physically afflicted, they received him even as an angel of God or as Christ Jesus himself. And Paul's saying that was a good thing. I came as God's messenger and you received me as one who is speaking to you truly words from God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says that the true gospel preacher is an ambassador for God, as if Christ himself were speaking through him. And Jesus says in Matthew 10.40 that the one who receives Christ's messenger receives Christ himself. And so these Galatians did indeed love Paul because he brought them the gospel of Jesus Christ, these glad gospel tidings. They as they received the gospel that he brought, they had a profound thanksgiving for this 
faithful servant of God. And in fact, their love for Paul was so great that he even says at the end of verse 15 there, that you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. They so loved Paul, this gospel messenger, that they were willing to do anything for him. What a beautiful love this was. For Christ's sake, what a beautiful reception of this ambassador of of good news. It was a time, Paul says in verse 15, of extraordinary blessedness. You know, perhaps you can look back at your own life in this way and see such a time of blessedness. I don't know who it was that first brought the gospel to you. For some of you, it was your parents when you were young. For others of you, it was a pastor who led you to Christ. Or perhaps a Christian friend. Do you remember what it was like to to learn these truths out of His Word for the first time? To hear that message of free forgiveness through Jesus Christ. To have your eyes open to the beauty of God's love in Christ and to receive this gospel. What blessedness there was. How thankful you were for the person that brought that to you. What a blessedness these Galatians had experienced at the hand of their pastor, Paul. And that's what makes this present situation so perplexing. Because something dramatically had changed. This man, for for whom they were willing at one time to to gouge out their eyes, they loved him so much, they welcomed him, even as the Lord Jesus Christ. Something now has changed. He says, verse 15, What then has become of our blessedness, of your blessedness? Or verse 16, Have I then become your enemy? By telling the truth? This one whom they once had received as Christ himself now had become their enemy. Instead of greeting him now with hospitality, they rejected him with hostility. And why was that? Had Paul's message changed? Had Paul turned his back on them? And the answer is no, he had not. He was telling them uh, the truth. Well, like a good pastor, he was warning them against going astray, even rebuking them and urging them to remain faithful to the gospel and not turn back again into bondage. Paul desired that they would continue to believe and embrace this gospel message that he had brought to them. But what had happened now was that they now didn't want to hear it any longer. So they turned their back on Paul. You know, these Galatian Christians in reality had no better friend and no better shepherd than Paul was. What does a good shepherd do when the wolf comes? He doesn't abandon the flock, but he instead protects and keeps the flock. And that's what Paul was doing. He was protecting these Galatian Christians. They had no greater loving friend than Paul who was guarding and keeping them in the way, but now they were rejecting Paul and they were counting Paul as their enemy. Paul hadn't changed, 
but they had. Well, I think there's application in this uh, to us. I wonder, do you have a Christian friend or a pastor or parent or sibling or spouse who has been, as it were, your best Christian friend, the one who has led you in the Lord? Well, if that person is willing to warn you when you begin to go astray, it's a sign not that they're your enemy, but that they're your friend. And when that happens, can I say to you, don't distance yourself from that person. Don't say, that person, he's just so judgmental, or she just doesn't understand. No, such a one is a true friend indeed that would look out for your soul. And one of the surest signs of spiritual drifting is that we begin to distance ourselves from those who love us in Christ and speak the truth to us. And that's what they were doing with the Apostle Paul. They were distancing themselves, separating themselves from Paul. And they, in reality, had no greater friend than he was. So what's Paul essentially saying in these first several verses? He's saying to them, he's pleading with them, can't you remember what it was like and return? Can you return Can you return? And can I say the same thing to those of you here today, any here that can remember back to those days of joy, learning God's Word, growing in Christ under faithful shepherds and friends. Don't slip away from that. Don't reject those who love you in the Lord. Don't go another way, but rather, even as Paul says, with tears in his eyes, I entreat you as well. Remember and return. So that's the first word that he has for these who are spiritually drifting. Remember and return. But now secondly, he's made a contrast between their past treatment of Paul to their present. Secondly, now he's going to make another contrast and he's going to contrast the false teachers to the true. And he will now plead with them Follow those who will lead you to Christ. Paul, beginning in verse 17, now turns his attention to the Judaizers. You remember who the Judaizers are? They're the false teachers in Galatia who had captured the hearts and the minds of these believers and they were telling them really a false gospel that they had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Christ was not enough. And so if if Paul is to win these Galatian Christians back, what he needs to first do, almost like pulling a Velcro strap apart, he needs to uh, pull them away from these false teachers who had so captured their hearts and their minds. And so he describes what has happened their attachment to these teachers in verse 17. They, that is, these Judaizers, these false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. 
What's Paul saying here? Let me just kind of rephrase it so you can understand what this is saying. He's saying, they make much of you. That is, these teachers are courting you. They are paying attention to you. They are even flattering you. But they're doing it for no good purpose. That is, not for your good, but rather for your spiritual harm. They want to shut you out. That is, they don't allow you to go to any other teacher. They want you to only listen to them. That you may make much of them. That is, they do this not for your good, but in order to build themselves up and to build up their own ministries. And so we see even here in verse 17, really a number of marks of what we would consider an unfaithful ministry against which we need to be warned. Uh, Let me just mention three of those things that we see in this verse. First of all, unfaithful ministries may be outwardly impressive in personality, in marketing, in popularity, but they don't promote the truth or form Christ-likeness in their hearers. And that's what was going on here. There was much, dear friends, about the Judaizers that was impressive. You remember, Paul was not outwardly impressive. He was weak. He was frail. He was not smooth of speech. But these men had come in and were impressive. But Paul is saying a person might be impressive in personality or popularity, but if they don't promote truth or form Christ's likeness in their hearers, they are no good. Well, a second mark of an unfaithful ministry is that they are exclusive. That is, they are trying to promote a kind of personal loyalty, or even, uh, in our day, we might say a brand loyalty, isolating their followers from other influences as if there are no other teachers at all in the world with the insight or the perspective that they offer. And so, some often, a kind of false teacher is very careful to isolate their followers from any other influence. There's nobody else out there who also is teaching the truth. Third mark is that these unfaithful ministries often do this for self-serving ends. That is, the focus is on the size or the popularity or even in our day, the budget of their own ministries. It's building their own ministry, exalting themselves as the teacher. And it's not, their concern is not so much the fruit that is produced in people's lives. So these are some of the marks of these unfaithful ministries, and it's something we need to be on guard against in our own day. Now you understand, I hope, that For a Christian to have a kind of personal loyalty or attachment or devotion to a particular teacher or ministry is not in itself a wrong thing. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 18. He says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Okay, 
In, in other words, he's saying it can be a very good thing for there to be a kind of warm, grateful, affectionate bond between a Christian and, say, their pastor or their Christian friend or their parents in, in the Lord. Pastors and Christians should be open and affectionate with one another. There should be a kind of bond that is created and an openness and investment in the lives of one another. People should be able to love their pastors and their Christian friends and say, I love that person because that person has brought me close to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is not saying, uh, in, in guarding against these false ministries, that there ought not to be any affection or openness or anything like that. No, we acknowledge with thanksgiving the people whom God has used in our lives and forever indebted to that person, we might say. I have been especially helped by that Christian pastor or by that Christian author or by that podcast that I listen to or by that radio ministry that has helped me. Oh, what great good God has done in my lives through that individual. So Paul is saying there is a kind of uh, um, making much of one another for a good purpose. But what Paul is warning against here, he's warning against kind of false teachers who would come in and steal their heart away from those who are their true friends. It's, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a, a young person who begins dating somebody who is really, really bad for her. And, and there are friends who come in and say, you know, this person isn't good for you. This person is just, we're afraid you're going to grow attached to, to, to this individual. And uh, they're just going to chew you up and spit you out. And, and it's going to be bad for you in the end. And, and, and what's their concern is to guard the heart of their friend. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's guarding the heart of, of these of these Christians, and he's saying to them, um, beware who is courting you. Beware who is, who is trying to gain your heart. They are not good for you. These false teachers are going to, as it were, chew you up and, and spit you out. They're going to use you. Don't give your heart away, Paul is saying, to those who will spiritually harm you. New ministry may be charismatic and impressive, person might be writing popular books or be promoting a new fad or have clever marketing. There might be so much about this other that is so attractive, but what is that ministry ultimately about, Paul is saying? What is drawing you there? What you need to be drawn to is a ministry that is marked by simple biblical faithfulness. A ministry that is drawing you into a growing relationship, not to them, not to lift them up, but a growing relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul goes on in verse 19 and 20 uh, to, uh, to speak about his, his own ministry. In verses 19 and 20, he, as it were, lays open his own heart to these Galatians. And he's saying to them here, this is the mark of a true ministry, not like these false teachers. And here we see what Paul's driving passion is, what it is that 
that he longs for. Verses 19 and 20, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And the illustration here is, is, is rather striking. It's, it's of a woman who is going through childbirth, and uh, that woman undergoes extraordinary pain and anguish and labor in order to, to hold in her arms a precious child. Yeah, a woman going through childbirth is not a kind of disinterested, detached spectator to the whole process. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, my love for you is so great that I am in anguish. I I gave birth to you once when I first brought the gospel to you. And now, as it were, I'm giving birth to you again. I am in anguish. I labor. But unto this end, not so you'll make much of me, Paul says, but so that Jesus Christ will be formed in you. Paul's driving passion was to win people for Jesus Christ. It was to see Christ formed in them. To see Christ indwelling them. Christ changing them. To see them believing the gospel and filled with the Spirit and devoted to the Scriptures and marked by love and experiencing the joy of forgiveness and the privileges of sonship. To see them fully formed and matured in their service of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, this is what I give everything to. I mean, as it were, in the anguish of childbirth to see Jesus Christ formed in you. That was his goal and his aim. He longed to be with them. He longed to be present with them. That he might... uh, uh, have this attachment to see Jesus Christ formed in them. Let me just close with just a few words of application of this. And the first word of application is this, is that here we need to recognize the marks of a true ministry. What Paul is speaking of here are the marks of a true ministry. And there's application for this in pastors and elders. This is the ministry that you ought to pray for and aspire to. But there's application for Christians in this also. This is the ministry that you must place yourself under. Don't place yourself under false teachers as these Judaizers, but under those who are truly going to care for your soul. You know, if the day comes, someday that you have to choose a new pastor for this church. It is one with the marks of of what Paul is describing here. If you move away and you have to find a church and a ministry to be under, it is one with the kind of marks that Paul is speaking of here. What, What are these marks here of a true ministry? Well, Phil Riken puts it this way. He says that ministers should not be judged by their ability, appearance, personality, popularity, or any of the other standards ordinarily used to judge them. Ministers should be evaluated primarily by their faithfulness to the Word of God. That's what it is. A true minister is one who works hard not to build himself up, but rather to build up the flock of Jesus Christ. Like Paul, he is always seeking to lead people to Jesus, laboring earnestly in prayer to bring their needs before uh, 
uh, the living God. Laboring hard in the study to bring forth biblically sound, Christ-exalting sermons, which will draw people closer to Jesus Christ. Laboring fervently to attend to the needs of the flock, to have a word of biblical counsel. To labor in to labor hard in a kind of Christ-like, humble leadership of the flock so that the church will be led in the paths that they should go. A true biblical ministry is not about the minister, it is about Jesus Christ. It's pointing others to Him. It's leading in faithfulness according to the Word of God. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't turn away from that. But rather... Put yourself under such a mark of true ministry. Then a second word of application is this. It is that you, dear Christians, need, like Paul, lovingly to call back those who are drifting. You know, Paul is an example to us of what it means to open up our hearts wide unto others. And when we see others beginning to drift away, that we would have the love and the courage, like Paul, to go after them and to open up our hearts to them, to plead with them, not for our sake, but, but for Jesus Christ. And you know that those who are drifting need, need to, to see that you care about, about their situation or, or their condition. It's, it's not a good thing if a person slips away and nobody cares enough to go after them or to open up their heart to them and to plead with them to come back. Friends, the Apostle Paul is an example to us in this. James, the end of the book of James, James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul that is, the sinner's soul, from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Oh, dear friends, we do this not for our own sake, but because we love that individual and we love the Lord Jesus Christ. and We long to see them back into fellowship with the Savior. Let us follow Paul's example. But then the third thing is this that I want to say. It is... To any of you here today who are drifting or who are tempted to drift, just as these Galatian Christians did, can I say to you, can I say, can I call upon you lovingly to hear Paul's words as if they are spoken directly to you? Because in many senses, they are spoken directly to you. This isn't just Paul's word to Galatian Christians long ago. This is God's inspired word for people in every age. And as Paul calls upon them, remember what it once was like and return. And as he calls upon them, follow those who will lead you to Jesus Christ. God is calling you to do the same, even today. Remember, return. Follow those who will lead you not to themselves, but to Jesus Christ, that you will know Him better. 
Because ultimately, dear friends, what we desire for you is not that you would follow any individual. That's not Paul's aim in any of this. He's not trying to put himself on a pedestal. He's not trying to say, I want as many followers as I can have. That's the opposite. He wasn't looking to exalt himself. But rather, he was standing, as it were, in Christ's stead. He was a minister of Jesus Christ saying, look to Jesus. And that's the good news is we have a Savior who compassionately, lovingly receives all who look to him in faith. And what gives Paul the courage to turn to these drifting believers, these drifting Galatian Christians, and to call them back rather than to just give up on them? Why doesn't Paul just, as it were, wipe his hands clean and say, that's it, you're gone, I give up on you entirely, there's no use for me even to talk to you anymore? He doesn't do that. Why? He calls them back because that's exactly the kind of Savior that we have as well. He's a Savior who says, come unto me you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to the waters, he says. Drink. Come, buy from me without money, without price. Come and take this free gift of eternal life. That's the good news for any that are drifting away. Paul says, God says to us, might we return unto him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word, this impassioned plea from the heart of Paul that by your spirit you inspired him to write. We pray, O living God in heaven today, that we would see in these words the marks of a true and faithful ministry. Lord, that we would be given the love and the courage plead with those who are drifting. We pray as well today, O Lord, that for any who have drifted away from faith in Jesus Christ, from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from a faithful gospel ministry that their souls need, Lord, we pray that they would even today hear the loving voice of their Savior calls them back. Lord, our God in heaven, we give you thanks. Thank you for this word of truth that you've given us today. Use it, we pray.